I would say bad things starts to happen once you get a leverage of bigger than 10x. So, and that's what, why, because we are, because we are professional asset managers at Blink. So uh, I personally have never used a leverage of bigger than X5, XX in my, in my, in my professional career. And I would say that on average, like professional asset managers don't go beyond X3. And that's why in Blink, we are quite conservative and I would say professional from asset management standpoint in terms of provisioning leverage. Hey there, good people in crypto land. I'm Matt Lysing. Welcome back to my podcast, Decent People. Today on the show, I've got Alexander Poskurin. He is a co-founder of Blink Finance, which is a decentralized multi-chain prime broker. Let me break that down for you. So where Alex comes from is a quantitative background in traditional finance where he was trading derivatives and uh, equity products. Uh, and he was doing it by building quantitative models, basically high-speed trading. And what you do in that case, you're basically on the buy side. You're like a hedge fund or you're managing your own money or maybe some other people's money. But you need a banking partner. It's called a prime broker. And what they do is they allow you access to the markets. They'll lend you money for trading. They'll do all sorts of um, services for you, of course, with a fee involved. So Alex is coming from that background into crypto and has now kind of gone to the other side and he's blink finance is now the decentralized prime broker that's that's offering leverage and other trading services to to their customers we talk about all of that and about um, alex's uh, background growing up in ukraine about how the war there has affected um, blink's development and uh, what what life is like there for folks uh, he still has family and friends uh, who haven't left and we talked about, um, you know, what they're doing with, with Blink is offering under collateralized trading because when you have a smart contract involved, such as uh, in, this, in this world on a decentralized exchange trading, once you get to a certain level of collateral and you go under it, then your contract is closed out immediately. So there's not as much risk buildup in the system as in traditional finance. So we talk about some of the pros and cons there. Um, and about how much leverage is safe leverage. And we talked about how this bear market to him, he's now been through a couple. And this one feels a little different because in previous bear markets, as he mentioned, there was a question of whether crypto was going to survive at all. It was an existential threat. This time, it's the question has become, when is this bear market going to end? So I found that interesting that he perceives that there's a shift there, that, that folks are not talking about the end of crypto, just the end of a bad market. So with all that being said, let's get to the conversation. I hope you enjoy it. And thanks so much for listening. Hey, Alex, how you doing? Hey, Matt, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. I'm great. Uh, appreciate you coming on and taking the time to talk to me today. Um, I'm excited to talk to you because you've got uh, an interesting history kind of um, from the investor side of things, it looks like uh, the buy side in uh, quantitative trading and, and algorithmic based uh, trading functions and a lot of computer heavy stuff um, that, that you were in before you got into crypto. So um, I've always been fascinated with that kind of side of the investing world since I was a reporter at Bloomberg. So um, yeah, that'll be fun to get into. But um, first of all, I believe you're now, um, you're based in London. Yeah. How are things going there? 
Yeah, you know, um, yeah, it's doing great. London is a, I would say, is a great place to be. So, um, especially in in summer. So uh, yeah, it's all great. And is it is the summer starting to peek through now? The the gray is is behind you. Uh, yeah, I would say that recent recently, maybe for a week, uh, it's really getting like warmer and uh, like the sun is sh- like is shining. So, uh, like like I, I think from now just a like only good days are waiting for us yeah that's great enjoy it while it lasts so i was hoping you could just sort of in your own words kind of tell me um right off the bat what blink finance is about and and what you guys are doing um you guys describe yourselves as a decentralized multi-chain prime broker so maybe you could kind of break that down for me and just tell me um at a high level like what you guys are up to at blink yeah, yeah, sure. So I would say in order to explain um in a in a in a detailed manner what, what Blink Finance does does, I would like to make some sort of like a step back and to tell what are the like ultimate um goal of prime brokerage in, in traditional finance, right? So when I'm as a hedge fund, um and uh, like mostly what I'm searching for is some sort of counterparty which provides me with a good tailor-made custody service uh reliable enough uh which uh, like makes things easier uh, improves my uh, operations give me access to the market but what's most important is it gives me a leverage for my trading operations and uh, some of people may ask like why can't you just go to you know some commercial bank for example in london and like to barclays or hsbc and just ask for for i know for 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 a credit line and uh, to do trading. They'd say, well, what do you want to use it for? And you'd say crypto, and they'd say, there's the door, pal. See you later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, the yeah. problem is that sometimes you need your, you need leverage, and you need your like cr- like credit line. Yeah, not and just for one... uh, just borrowed money, right? You need like you. Yeah. It's it's much more profitable to be trading on borrowed money because your returns could be so much bigger. On the other absolutely. hand, it's, da- it's dangerous, right? Because you can also lose a lot more. Absolutely, yes, yes. But I would say that. Uh, um all in all i would say um like m- like most of hedge fund managers they do use leverage uh it is uh, some misconception of leverage being a bad thing but you know like in in in, uh, in a professional hands of hedge fund managers and asset managers it is some sort of essential tool which uh, sometimes even like m- makes them make you know like 10 15% per year which is you know like sounds like a decent and reasonable returns you know like nothing crazy but it is done actually through leverage so it, it is some sort of a financial tool to to be a- to be able to provide the target return that wasn't really the message that got through at 3 arrows capital though was it <laughs> Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, you know, how like many billions and how much did they borrow? Like three or four billion dollars worth of Bitcoin? Yeah, it, it was a huge one. But I, I think that that's a perfect. So, unfortunately, when people from non finance background they hear about leverage, three euros capital, um, Alameda, FTX is something which comes to you, like, which, you know, that comes to our mind. But actually, Leverage is, is, is actually a, the essential part of any financial and asset management system um, which comes to, to, to your mind when you think about trading, asset management, and hedge funds. 
I totally agree. And I think a lot of people don't understand the entire financial system is based on borrowed money in one form Absolutely. or another. Nobody has their own money. It's maybe the banks have some, but they're mostly using their depositors' money or they've got other sources of capital. But across the entire financial world, it's all borrowed money. And some of it has better risk management than others. But yeah, I didn't mean to say it's a bad thing. It's definitely all throughout finance, but it, it can be dangerous if in the wrong hands, like three ROs or FTX or uh, MF Global, or you know, you can point to a lot of different uh, people in the in the traditional financial world that have blown up um, using leverage. So yeah, um, but I, I was curious because you come from this quantitative investor sort of um, hedge fund e background, where you like you're describing, you had to have a prime broker. Um, and basically it's a bank, you know, it's giving you, it's lending you money, it's lending you securities, it's, it's helping you manage collateral, all sorts of things. And then what you need, and you need that in the traditional financial world. And just to be clear, like it's hard to be a prime broker in the traditional financial world because there's a lot of regulations. It's very capital intensive, you know, it's very competitive. But then I'm interested, you went from being on the other side of the prime broker relationship in traditional finance to being the prime broker now in digital finance. So what's that been like for you? Yeah, that's kind of actually extremely interesting, I would say, path, because, uh, you know, um, uh, when I initially started my traditional finance world, uh, like path uh, in financial finance world, because I've been trading um, statistical arbitrage in US equities. That's like, you know, like everyone who trades statistical arbitrage knows why leverage is so important. So, because you're only making a small amount, and if you yeah. make right, but if you can multiply it by fifty or a hundred, then the returns are better. Exactly, exactly. Because you know, like for example, you 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 earn on a spread between your long side, for example, plus five percent on Apple and minus four point nine percent on Amazon. So your net profit is just zero point one percent. Yeah. But uh, if you multiply, but by, by some you know like target leverage, it becomes like that's where you, you, like your profit comes from. Of course, it it is driven by your risk management policies, etc. But uh, you definitely need leverage uh, to reach some target return of I don't know like twenty twenty plus percent. And what's that been like for you so far, um, being on the other side and and sort of you know I guess the risk management is is risk management is always important but i think if you're actually lending to folks like it's even more important right oh yeah yeah absolutely uh i would say that's that, that's kind of interesting because that's basically how blink finance was was initially created because when my co-founder Serhi and i was sitting in, in one of the actually english pubs and uh, we we saw a huge potential defi system and we asked ourselves as a asset management professionals like what trade fi cannot live without what hedge funds cannot live without it, it, it is actually prime brokerage and leverage so um and the, the next step for us was so basically how can we apply our knowledge of financial markets and being on the other side of the market to create a solution uh in DeFi for leverage um just because we we do know how leverage works and uh, in centralized finance actually a exchange has a function of prime brokerage because when you open leverage position in uh you know like in spot or 
swap in Binance. And Binance is actually the institution which provides you right a leverage position. But in DeFi, there is no such opportunity for you. Yeah. And was when your co-founder and you were in the pub dreaming this all up, was it also, it must have been on your mind that, um, well, for a long time, banks didn't want to touch this space at all, right? So it was very hard to get um, a bank to, to back you. Um, when even to the point where if they found out you were trading crypto, they might shut down your account, you know, just immediately, right? So that that's always been a huge issue. I think it's getting better, but I'm not sure how good it is now with all the blowups of last year. But was that in your mind that like it's it's hard to get access to capital here in this in in DeFi and in in the crypto world, and that's a niche that we can fill. I actually think that like in recent years, DeFi had like DeFi and crypto, like the whole system has shown a massive improvement in um you know in relationship with regulatory um parts of the ecosystem so we can see more and more like actually x you know trade five guys who are building crypto hedge funds uh who really approach this problem in a professional uh way and they actually they they lean to towards you know like regulation transparency um like uh, transparent legal structure etc so i think there is a huge potential and uh, like on the other side defi provides a perfect technology infrastructure to make it to make it possible so i would say there is like a two like two way um like like from both si both sides they lean towards transparency um legal um like uh, like yeah yeah legal certainty uh -huh. etc to get here i mean it, it sounds like uh math and computer science is probably something that w was a huge advantage for you am i am i right in that way that you like what as a kid were you drawn to to math and, and science and things um that would eventually lead to to this ability to to kind of get into quant finance and things like that oh yeah yeah absolutely so like since maybe 15, 16, I definitely knew that I would like to um to work on a on the on the mix of finance and ma and the mathematics. So like I, I I have always been um like a person who loved math mathematics and uh, all the computer science uh stuff since day one. Where did you so grow up? What, so I grew up in Ukraine. Um and uh as a result actually I have like finished a, I have like STEM background. I had lots of math in my university, but I have been always in love with finance. So I was like, you know, like actively trying to find something which combines these two disciplines. And uh, of course, you know, like that's a go-to decision for every person to go into algorithmic trading and quantitative finance for everyone who has passion for both finance and mathematics. Uh -huh. What do you think led to your passion for finance and uh, growing up in Ukraine? I would say that, um, that, that, that that's kind of interesting because uh, in my family, uh, like my father has always been the one who who has been, you know, um, a big fan of finance and investments and everything related to, to this area. You know, like I've been always like watching lots of financial, like films about f like hedge fund managers, asset management, financial movies. So like I would say this passion was 
like somehow driven by uh, inside of my my family but my passion for masses was something which you know like i just you know it was like a basic love for, from the first sight i would say so so um yeah and what's the culture like in ukraine um coming up because i know it's it's very much a hotbed of, of computer science and developers and um, technology in general in that part of the world is is there a culture as you're growing up there of, of, that pushes you towards the hard sciences, math and computer science and things like that? Or what was that like for you? Yeah, I would say that um, in Ukraine, if you go towards the path of mathematics, physics, um, computer science, you will find lots of places where you can, you, you can really get like very good support extremely good education and base in this uh, I would say in this area because uh, like you know like previously there is extremely good foundation for that so everything related to um, mathematics and uh, other uh, stem sciences has a big foundation and were your parents pushing you in that direction as well or how did they uh, what did they want you to do I would say that, you know, like initially when my, my father and I were talking about uh, what should I do, uh, we first initially kind of agreed on a fact that I would like to be a lawyer. But at some point I just came to him and said that, that I definitely feel that law is, is not my, uh, is not my, my, my stuff. And, uh, but I have always been Did you already know at, at that point that you were really good in math and like you had done a yeah. lot of... Yeah, yeah. The, the, the thing I've all I've always been good at math. I love that, and uh, he basically that the thing which he asked me like, "What what do you love doing at school?" I said like, "I love algebra." I actually was I did love uh, geometry actually, uh, but I loved algebra and everything related to that. So, um, what is it about why, what is it about that algebra like that type of math that appeals to you? Do you think? I would say that, like within like geometry kind of thing, I was not that good at, you know, like linkage between the analytical side of of the of the subject, and a fact that you really need this kind of um, dimensional um, imagination to understand how how things work together, which I was not that that good at. While in ab algebra, it is just you know just pure analytics. It's a lot more abstract, uh, I guess, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, you're solving for an unknown. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that's why I loved algebra so much. Yeah, that's great. And what did your, what did your father do? So initially, my father and mother, they uh, were vets. Uh, that's basically how they met each other in the, uh, in the university. But it was mm, like 90s. Uh, so, you know, like everyone was trying to do something to uh you know like to feed the family uh, to get them into the better place so it, at some point he just uh, started to to trade um yeah he's been like you know like just getting like something uh buying uh in some markets uh like any stuff and trying to buy it with some premium on uh, in, uh, in in ukraine um so that's basically what what, what he was doing okay so he wasn't just a he wasn't just a fan of finance. He was doing it himself on the side to try to make money for the family. Yeah, like like he, he has been like entrepreneur at same at some point he decided to concentrate like solely on like like one specific thing which was goods for for shoes etc. 
but okay. he told me that he has always he had always had passion for finance himself. So, but he did not feel enough like confidence, uh, you know, yeah. and um, I would say basis and foundation to to make informed investment uh, decisions. But he had always had uh, passion for that. So I would say he's like quite happy that I found my, you know, like my place uh, in this area. Yeah, that's a, that brings up an interesting point. There is definitely a need, I think, to be a good trader, to have a certain emotional remove from what you're doing, right? You can't get too caught up in the amount of money maybe that's at stake, right? I, I don't know. I, I felt I never, I would not be good at it because I don't think I have that removed. But it, is that something you found in yourself as you've been a trader, like in your previous careers? Yeah, I would say that I was lucky enough to to be an algorithmic trader, which is completely systematic. And uh, that's actually a great thing also about DeFi, but, but that like, still makes you nervous smart. though, right? When you push that button, like it could go all wrong, couldn't it? Yeah, like, it could go wrong. And that, <laughs> and that actually what happens in DeFi, you know, like yeah, it also could yeah. go wrong with your smart contract and hacks. But on the other hand, it is completely systematic in a way that, I don't know, like once you, so uh, like there is a sem same level of complexity when you trade 10,000 USD and 1 million. There is a whole different level when you go to one billion because of market impact and others. But be between these two things, for you know, like for someone who is not from a finance world, there is a like basically a huge leap. But for a person from computer science and algorithmic trading domain, it just it 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 is it is just a value of one environment variable, which is yeah. equity. It's just a bigger input, right? Kind of exactly. I mean, yeah, right. Okay, well, obviously, speaking of Ukraine and, and your background there, how are things going with the the war, and how's your family doing? And, and did you were you building Blink while the, the invasion was sort of like you know while that was starting to have like you know build the build up and then the invasion and like can you tell me about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I would say, um, um, so. Like previously, I've been like working as a hedge fund manager. Uh, I was actually also trading, uh, like at some point, I have pivoted into crypto. Um, trading Were you in Kiev? Uh, I was uh, when the war started. I was not in Kiev, um, so I was uh, yeah, I was on a on a vacation, um, which was I would say it was like, quite quite fortunate uh, to be in that place. But uh, back back in the days, I have started uh, to go quite often to to london because many like you know like of my clients were in london and uh, mm -hmm. many i would say i would say i had many things happening in london uh from professional standpoint for me so when the war has started in kiev which is yes it was a uh like extremely unexpected but uh when i asked myself what are the place where you should go because it, it it looks like it's something which would, would take a while london was a go-to decision for me yeah yeah it's interesting you you bring up the unexpected part of the war i was talking to um one of the guys the co-founders at scale um network do you know those guys um half their team was in ukraine yeah. he was saying they had to evacuate people and and we were talking about how it was sort of like nobody thought it was going to happen nobody thought it was going to happen and then all of a sudden it happened um 
is your family still there or have you been able to get them out or, or is everything okay in that sense? Yeah, my family is, is still there. Um, I would say for me, unfortunately, but uh, for them, I, I, I would say that, like, fortunately, that like they do not live in a region which was that much affected by the war compared to others, which was uh, actually quite surprisingly because it, it is quite... It is not far away from 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 places where like the war thing happened, mm-hmm. um, but like mostly because my family are so committed to a place, committed to like things which we which they have in Ukraine, um, they used to that. So for them, like relocating was a like definitely a no go decision despite the fact that I've been pushing hard on them um, to leave yeah. and, uh, yeah, to help them to provide all the necessary stuff. Yeah, it must be incredibly hard when you realize that if you leave, you might not be able to ever come back. You know, you might lose everything forever. You must be in constant contact with them. What, what are they saying about how things are going and, and the, what's the mood like um, from inside the country? Yeah, I would say, um, I, I, you know, Unfortunately, those people who stay in Ukraine, uh, they they get used to that. On the one hand, they get they get used to that, but on the other hand, hindsight, they do admit a fact that you know when like when you feel this kind of stress every life, it becomes just part of your life. You you get used to that, but it does not neglect all the, all the negative effects on, on you. You know um when you don't sleep well when you get nervous etc so like it's it is some some acute, like cumulative kind of effect so you know for example i know like my my grandfather had a birthday today and uh, unfortunately like today my native city has been bombed and uh, you know like there were like some some uh you know like people who who suffer from that etc so it's unfortunately because just just a normal thing uh of your of your day which no one of us um, like out outside of Ukraine faces, but uh, it is just just you know just a regular day for for those people living there. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope everybody stays safe, and I hope obviously the war ends as soon as possible. Um, I've actually been to Ukraine. I really enjoyed it. I was in Lvov and then Kiev yeah. um, for a little while, and then we went to the exclusion zone and visited Chernobyl, which was okay. um, something I'll never forget. That was. Uh, the only thing that I think we did wrong was we were there in, I think, January, and it was, it was super cold. Yeah, it was super cold. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't see the sun hardly ever, and um, yeah, very gray like we were talking about um, at the beginning. But Yeah, I would say in, in winter, London is not that bad compared to Ukraine. Yeah, good point. <laughs> it can always be worse, right? Yeah. Well, let's, let's get back to Blink, and um, I would love to tell, like... This, this kind of, as a reporter, you know, and someone who f- has covered a lot of financial crises and things, this, this feature that you guys are advertising is, is for under-collateralized trading with margin management. That kind of is a little bit of a red flag to me, just those words, like, why would you want to be under-collateralized, right? But I'm sure there's more to it than, than that. So um, can you tell me what, what, that is, what that's about and, and what, um, what you guys are hoping, I, I guess, why you think the market needs it or what what issue are you trying to solve there yeah yeah absolutely i would love to to tell that so i would say in essence every 
like kind of leverage which asset manager needs to get is under collateralized in TradeFi by its nature. So when you trade, when someone trades, I trade with a leverage, you know, like of X something. It in essence mean under collateralized. You know, you have like one million of assets under management, get the credit of one million more, and you trade on that. Because um, and that's what under collateralized is. Um, yeah, that's a good point. And, and like in the futures world, um, like the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, I think margin is usually around seven percent, right, of the yeah. over underlying value of whatever you're trading. So, like, that's not fully collateralized. <laughs> not even close, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, uh, I would say bad things starts to happen once you get a leverage of bigger than ten x. So, and that's what, why, because we, are, because we are professional asset managers at Blink. So uh, I personally have never used a leverage of bigger than X5, XX in my, in, my, in my professional career. And I would say that on average, like professional asset managers don't go beyond X3. And that's why in Blink, we are quite conservative and I would say professional from asset management standpoint in terms of provisioning leverage. So we do not provide a leverage higher than X5. So, you know, we take some some portion of this negative sentiment from a world under collateralized um, because we don't really think that a professional asset manager would ever come to you to ask for something more than that, at least at this stage. It's interesting to think also in that context where a lot of the credit lending, the crypto credit lending firms that, that kind of blew up last year, they were, um, it was usually over collateralized, right? Like if you, yeah. if you gave them $100 in Bitcoin, they might give you 50 or $70 back in fiat or, or in dollar, you know, dollar coin, right? Yeah. Have you been able to take the, the traditional finance risk management um, kind of framework that you were using and just bring it into the, to DeFi or how is, what, what's that been like? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I would say there are two two ways to approach the problem. So the first one is what what the problem is DeFi was for for under collateralized like like leverage. Uh, so like previously there were several protocols which provided traders with not not just under collateralized leverage but basically with uncollateralized leverage. So for example, Alameda comes to you. You need to know that it's a big big hedge fund and asks for one hundred mil of credit line. And uh, what you do, you sign contracts, contracts with them, just give them the leverage and that's it, right? So, um, but at some point, Alameda just, uh, you know, blows up and uh, you find out that, you know, you cannot get your money back. They're not putting up anything in that yeah. situation as collateral, really? Yeah, 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 absolutely. But secondly, what we have understood that if, for example, someone would be able to track the positions of Alameda in real time, and, you know, like liquidate their position and take back the collateral once things go wrong. You know, like you can, you, you could have landed to Alameda, you know, but as long as you do know that if something goes wrong, you, you, you take the control over the assets of Alameda, sell everything just to get your initial credit back. And, you know, uh, it is what it is. That would be absolutely fine. Right. So and that's what actually what we have employed in Blink. So there are two, two, two parts of the system. So the first one is a risk management system which controls, which is basically margin engine, which takes control of traders' portfolio. So when trader like takes leverage from Blink, we do analyze in real time 
their portfolio to see if things go wrong or not, which we actually, we, we, we also take a look at traditional finance, how this problem is solved there, and we use CME span margin model, but we just modified it onto like, like DeFi principles. And there is a smart contract, which is Blink Protocol, which basically um, orchestrates and regulates the whole process such that when liquidation comes into action, like it gets control over traders' funds, liquidates them, gives money back to a credit, like to 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 the person who provided the the the, the borrow funds, and uh, yeah, um, like gives money back to what is left to a trader. Yeah, yeah, I love that, and I love um, the way that smart contracts can work here. And so it's it's like, and there's so much more transparency and visibility that uh, compared to the traditional financial world. That's why risk has been allowed to build up sometimes right and and it's just it's it's building and building and building and then it blows up and takes down you know a, a bunch of different institutions like in the financial crisis or in, in other smaller crises and so basically what you're saying is 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 in this digital world in the smart contract based process that you guys have it's like there's a constant mark to market right so you always know what your customers PL is. And I guess what you're saying is if you know, like, yeah, in the agreement, I said, yeah, I'll loan you a hundred million or whatever. But if your portfolio drops to X um, um, value, then I'm going to, I'm going to liquidate you instantly. And that's all done. Uh, there, there's no haggling about that because the smart contract is programmed to, to, if it hits this level, then you're selling everything and you're turning and returning money back to people. Um, do, do I, is that, that's basically it, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's very cool. Um, but what, so what, there's always a stress though, right? There's always a black swan. Like what is, in, what do you, what do you worry about in that situation? Like what could come out of left field to, to screw that up? Oh yeah, there are so, so many things which can go and define the wrong way, you know? So first of all that, you know, like you need to really understand when to liquidate a user. So, like, what should be this point X that when you should liquidate a user? And, you know, for example, I give you 10X leverage. Um, so, basically, um, and uh, you, like, you ask yourself, so when I will be liquidated? So, some naive answer, which would be when my portfolio drops by 10%, because 10 by 10 is 100%, and that's it. But, unfortunately, you would see that you would never be liquidated if you take 10x leverage when your portfolio drops by 10%, but you will be liquidated much earlier. And why so is because of slippage. Because usually, you know, things go, go wrong and liquidations go wrong, not in a non-volatile, but rather in extremely volatile environment when everyone wants to sell. So, and like, and you and your liquidation engine would also be part of the system trying to sell uh, which causes huge markets, like it, it causes slippage, which basically right, means yeah. that you know, like, yeah. So you might want to sell. You you might want to sell at ninety, let's say, but you can't yeah. get ninety, and you get end up getting seventy. So now exactly. you're you're screwed. Even you're you're three times higher losses than you wanted. But it's like the market is going straight down at that point, right? There's no buyers, and so yeah, it's a great point that if everyone's selling, it's a terrible time to sell. Exactly, exactly. So, like, you, you try to sell, and uh, like the second thing, the cost of this liquidation, because in DeFi, like in in, in DeFi, um, 
um, I mean, like uh, specifically in uh, uh, Ethereum network, you have the cost of operation, which is gas, right? So yeah, there's a right. basis to that. So and unfortunately, during liquidation, like everyone wants to sell. So that's why your get, gas cost just skyrockets, right? So you, you also need to take that into account. So are you able to manage that in a smart contract so that you don't end up just, you know, triggering it to sell in a terrible down market? So what we do is that we impose several, I would say, so we, we start liquidating a user earlier than, than, you know, like earlier than this 10% in, in example, when, when, when they get like 10x leverage. So we have some sort of precaution um, settings, you know, to, to liquidate a user. So unfortunately, a user will be liquidated earlier than that. And yes, we do, like, we do track current gas costs. So basically what we do is that for each user, we calculate the implied cost of liquidation, like in terms of gas, if a user would be liquidated right here, right now, um, just because it will be on us. And it is taken to, into account to calculate the liquidation point. Okay. So any huge shock to the, the system is always going to be um, a tough thing to manage. Um, I'm thinking of like when uh who oh, it was silvergate was going down i think it was or no it was silicon valley bank yeah sort of teetering and uh us dollar coin it came out had some reserves there and, and they yeah. they ended up breaking the peg so but they came back but there's always there's always crazy stuff like that right that, that that's out there those black swan kind of things yeah 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 like that, that's that's that, 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 that's actually a huge thing and like what what we have done is also what we call, uh, not like not not we call, but actually the, the the concept, which is called design partners. So we basically started to partner up with professional DeFi hedge fund managers, which like almost all of them are ex traditional finance, um, um, like you know, like highly traders, available pedigree, yeah, whatever. highly available pedigree traders, you know, like guys who know this stuff. But they start they they operate in DeFi. Who actually have seen this, uh, like all of these uh, things, and what the what when what we did at the, when we were like constructing this liquidation engine, we were doing it with them to like you know like to battle test it uh, with them to hear what they say like uh, like you know about the the architecture, mm -hmm. and say what things you know like can go wrong, and actually uh, like uh, the case which you have told like one of like our design partners was. What, what a hedge fund, what a DeFi hedge fund who's really experienced the thing. And the good thing that they managed to, you know, like, like to overcome this in like in a very good manner, just because they were well prepared for this kind of Black Swan events. It's always been really, uh, I think, interesting to me that a lot of traders um, have come into crypto because a lot of the traditional financial markets are are pretty boring these days to be honest you know there's not a lot of volatility there's not a lot of um spread you know like in the u.s equities market compared to you know today to the 70s it's it's a whole different world where you know the spreads were huge and you could make money just by buying and selling stocks on yeah. you know, the stock market um but so I think that that the volatility in def in, in crypto is is something that they love. I think the there's it's still kind of a wild west, uh, not not as many rules as in other markets for sure. Um, and then, and it's so it's like, 
I think currencies was maybe like the last market that seemed to be sort of like kind of like fun or, you know, like you could make yeah. good money there. Is that, is that what you've, have you found that with your customers and your own experience? Like, like all of a sudden there's this new asset class and it's like trading can be wild and crazy again. Yeah, uh, I would say that um, as a professional hedge fund manager and asset manager, you try to find markets where you can get the most of edge, right? So, you know, I would say still like markets like commodities are crazy, right? So and we have seen that in 2022, crazy things which were happening there. Uh, so volatility. And I would say the proportion of professional hedge fund managers to non-professional is something which is very important um, factor which drives your sharp ratio on your performance. And uh, currently crypto uh, is very, uh, like, and, and, like not currently actually, but crypto is uh, a, like a very favorable place to be there because you can really see some extremely smart people from TradeFi. But, like, uh, but on the other hand, we can really see a big retail flow and uh, it is a like the best condition for algorithmic trader yeah. to profit from. I won't make you say it, but that's another word for that retail flow is the dumb money, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like, yeah, that, uh, like, the, like, yeah, the retail flow is a, is a good way to, um, yeah, to, <laughs> yeah, to call this. But, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a brutal world. Like, that's, you know, that's, that's why, um, places like Citadel and, and other big shops pay so much money for order flow in the stock market right they need oh yeah they need to know that there is kind benevolent um trading coming in against them and not some shark with you know like forty thousand terabytes of um, compute behind what they're doing <laughs> exactly um, so the inform flow is something which every market maker is so um afraid of right right so. right and just for listeners like that's because once you st like once they get a sense of what you're doing their their tactics will change in a heartbeat and you'll get like completely rugged basically right is to use a crypto term in the traditional financial world you know, they'll just kind of bait and switch you um but the the retail flow won't won't ever do that it's just there to buy or to sell yeah yeah absolutely and uh, i would say um there is like and uh, the volatility due to wild west is, is huge in crypto by its nature and but but honestly for me you could have seen the same thing happening in traditional finance but many 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 years ago so you know like i would say that like the history kind of repeats itself in this matter well yeah I, I agree with that but it's also um so much easier to get into crypto as just to anybody, you know, like, like yeah. in traditional finance, if you really want to be doing something with a lot of money, it's, it's, it's very hard, you know, like the, it's not, it's not an open system. Absolutely. I would say like the, like the way it's democratic and easy to yeah. access is what, yeah. what makes crypto different. So what are you hearing from all those customers you have now, the sophisticated folks? Like what is the, is there a consensus on where the market is right now? Like, are we, have we hit the bottom and we're on our way up or what do you think the vibe is at this, at this time? I would say that, you know, like we have seen several bear markets of crypto, right? So, and I would say that if previously 
like in previous bear markets, like the question was whether crypto will continue to live or not. In this yeah, bear market, is existential, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this like condition of, of like uh, we we hear the question when the bear market ends. So it's no longer a question of whether crypto will live or not, but it's rather a uh, question when we will go back to to some you know, good bull run uh, times. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't quite thought of it in that term, but I think that conversation about, yeah, is crypto going to, is this it for crypto is no longer really valid. I don't know if it ever was, to be honest, but a lot of people wanted it to be. Um, so, okay, so yeah, that's, that's one difference and that's a qualitative difference, but what, what do you, what do you think, or what's your gut for where things stand with maybe, you know, the ending of the bear market and a, and a more bullish kind of, um, reemergence? Um, it, it's like, you know, it's a tough thing for, for me, I would say to predict because like, uh, surprisingly, I mean, um, I would, you know, call myself not, not, not a bait algorithmic trader. But as a, you know, like as a discretionary trader for someone who like who just times market, I'm the worst person to listen to. <laughs> so, you know, I've been buying Bitcoin in 2017 when it was 17. So the next day Bitcoin started to fall, you know, like, so that, that, that's the kind of person you talk to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but I would say that um, probably, I don't know why, uh, like, you know, like, that's kind of what my gut feeling says, but um, yeah, uh, uh, like take into account what I have just said. You should listen to me. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but probably so end of this year. The... Yeah. I would say probably like end of this year, uh, starting next year, I would say we should we, we should see some you know some um, like reversal of the trend uh, because right now we don't actually see that much of things happening. You know, like volumes have shrunk. Uh, we don't really see some big uh, things coming in you know everyone just waiting for for some new information to come into into the market so it, it's actually the best time to build yeah so you're going to stick to statistical arbitrage and not not try to time the market i get that um and then but speaking of that that that's perfectly leads into my next question was are you getting any sense or um have you seen projects that are very exciting kind of and that might be able to pull things out of the bear market like um DeFi summer you know all these lending protocols and and collateralized um sort of DeFi systems started coming out and that that's what ended the the bull market or sorry the bear market that it started you know in in mid early 2018 or so so are you getting any any inklings of stuff like that or anything that's cool um that that you've you've seen uh, in, in the startup kind of phase that would maybe be a catalyst like that. Yeah, I would say that I would say overall, like the the whole system works works like there is some sort of external signal for the whole market that the crypto should should uh, you know like should go um, up, but before that. Uh, you know, like there are so many different startups and companies who build the whole infrastructure and ecosystem just waiting for this one signal. So like, I, I don't really believe that it should happen, you know, like some startup would create something 
extraordinary, which would drive crypto crazy, but rather there are so many different projects which create some, you know, like innovative in a very like many things um, products which are even like, you know, like completely change the way people approach uh, trading in traditional finance, you know, for example, options trading, like there are like, like several projects, which I think make uh, like completely change the approach um, to, to that. But they just waiting for this some external signal, which I think is, is mainly regulatory, which will, will just say, okay, guys, now, you know, big liquidity institutions, and uh, other like counterparties can just 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 you know like inject a whole um, bunch of liquidity into the system, yeah. And like, uh, like all like, of a sudden, there's regulatory clarity, and they know what the rules yeah. are, so that the people on the sidelines that have a shit ton of money can can get into this if they want to. Yeah, and they really get the tools. You know, like they, they can really see that the system is ready to. Uh, to acquire that and ready to to provide people with, um, you know, a wide variety of uh, different uh, tools uh, yeah. for professionalized management. Yeah, the thing that worries me is is that I think the public interest in crypto has been damaged so badly um, over two bull and bear cycles. I just, I, I don't see, I, I feel like a lot of people just feel like, oh, it's a scam, you know, or I got burned too many times and I'm not coming back in. But you make a good point that if the institutional crowd, which for the most part has stayed on the sidelines, they, they like for many reasons they haven't felt that it was um, safe enough for them to get involved because of you know the lack of clarity. But if that if that clarity was there, I, I think, um, and certainly with with prices where they are compared to all time highs, like I think that would be a very big buy signal for them. But the other bummer, and I'm sorry to be a bummer, but I don't see that. I don't. I think it's going the opposite way in the in the U.S. right now. Like the current yeah. current regulatory regime is not friendly, and I don't think they want um, to give that sort of okay sign right at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I would say, like, unfortunately, what I would say that biggest crypto institutions, like for example, Coinbase, um, in U.S. The what I, 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 I feel that they're extremely open to a conversation, because you know the Coinbase is a like a publicly traded company, and I would say since day one they have shown that you know like hey guys, we we like you know like we want to speak to a regulator just 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 tell us what to do and not and what not to do and we're willing to do this kind of stuff you know like um so we're open to to this dialogue but unfortunately I would say there is like the the attitude is quite harsh on them, um, and uh, it 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 looks even worse taking into account that they were the one who have been always open like to to a good conversation, um, which is yeah, uh, which is quite disappointing. Yeah, it it points at a um, a pretty big flaw in the regulatory scheme where it's always after the fact. You know, like regulators come after you after you've done something wrong and. I guess in more developed markets, you know, you should know, you know, you shouldn't be front running. You shouldn't be, you know, like, yeah. uh, you know, doing certain things like spoofing or, you know, whatever. But th there are gray areas too. And, and I think especially in crypto when they haven't laid out the rules and people don't have anything to back, like to fall back on, that's where it gets very frustrating is because like you said, 
people want to do the right thing, but if, if they don't have the tools to do it, um, it's, it's not going to happen. Um, yeah. Well, Alex, this has been really interesting. I'm, I'm really glad we got together. Uh, this is, I've learned a lot and I really appreciate you talking to me about Blink. And one silly question, are you guys, have you launched yet or where are you in that journey? Yeah, we are uh, aiming to launch our like our closed beta testnet in October this year. We aim to create the first mainnet transaction for like a bilateral like leverage and collateral provision uh, with one of our clients in mainnet in August this year. And so we're build like we're actively building, and the like you know like the mainnet like the big release is aimed to for is aimed for twenty twenty. Uh, for for January 2024, so that's okay. why I I really you know look forward to bull market coming up uh, yeah. next year. Yep, yeah, we do too at Decentral as a media company. It definitely helps. Um, so well, good luck with that, and thanks again for talking to me. And then t- tell people how they can find out more about Blink um, and more about you. Um, yeah, sure. So I would say it, it, like uh, like at Blink we we generate lots of content um to educate our users uh so i would say that like the best reference point is of course our w- website which is blink finance uh, um xyz um and i would say basically it has all of the uh all of the all of the media i like regularly post like on my twitter account some some updates uh which is proscurin alex and um yeah i would say like the our our medium account and our twitter account which is blink finance on Twitter are the best places to to stay in touch with us and to see uh, what's going on and uh, yeah, see all the updates. Okay, great. Um, Well, yeah, once again, thanks, man. I really appreciate the conversation. It was very interesting. Yeah, thank you very much, Matt. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget to rate and follow this show on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Decent People is a production of Decentral Media. It is produced by Matt Bogart, with music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes.